Welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha, a podcast shared by David Roylance. This podcast is dedicated to guiding you to completely eliminate the discontent mind and the suffering it causes by attaining enlightenment. Learn and practice the teachings of Gotama Buddha that will guide you to fully attain a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. To support this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha or visit buddhadailywisdom.com where you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online learning resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Now, here's our teacher to share more. Sawadikap. Hello and welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. Today is our fourth class of a four-part series where I've been teaching loving-kindness meditation. Loving-kindness meditation is used to eliminate anger, hatred, ill will, and all the lesser versions of that. You can even eliminate resentment with loving-kindness meditation. But it doesn't really just stop with loving-kindness meditation. To transform the mind to being more loving and kind, it kind of starts with loving-kindness meditation to cultivate this in the mind, but then you need to move it into your daily life through practicing loving-kindness through your intentions, speech, and actions. This is how you transform the mind and transform your practice into being more loving and kind. It's through your intentions, your speech, and your actions. The meditation is really there in order to move the mind towards loving kindness, but then it's in your daily practice where you are interacting with others through your intentions, speech, and actions, and you practice being polite, kind, friendly, and respectful to all beings. So in this four-part series, I've been helping you to learn and understand how to practice loving kindness meditation have been guiding you along the way. If you've been doing your work outside of class, then you will have been building up your breathing mindfulness meditation practice first and then integrating loving kindness meditation into it and then using the teachings from the Eightfold Path in terms of right intention, right speech and right action to bring loving kindness into your daily life. And through doing this, with you starting to interact with all beings more peacefully with politeness, kindness, friendliness, and respect, this is where you'll see improvements to the condition of the mind and the condition of your life because of the natural law of gamma, that when you're putting out loving kindness more and more and more, this is what will come back to you. But if we remain impolite, unkind, unfriendly, and disrespectful, and we put out hostility and aggression through our intention, speech, and actions, that's what's going to come back to you because of the natural law of gamma. So with this full understanding of how this works, you can see that loving kindness meditation isn't going to fix everything that's happening. It's a real good start. It's really important for your practice, but you really need to move this into your daily life through your interactions with all beings. We're going to be doing a guided meditation together today, but I would like to open things up for any questions that you guys have since you should have been meditating between classes. If you're in Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom, you can ask questions by putting those into the comment section, or you can ask your question live in Facebook through just raising your hand electronically 
and the moderators will call on you to ask any questions that you have. Hi, David. You've mentioned that breathing mindfulness meditation tends to accumulate almost like water in a bucket. I was wondering if a similar, similar analogy applies to loving kindness meditation. Yes, that's 100% true. All meditations are that way that you can't really just do a meditation one time and you know get this amazing, amazing effect. A lot of people do observe an improvement and they can observe if they're doing breathing mindfulness meditation or loving kindness meditation, they can kind of observe, hey, you know, that's different than what I'm used to. But in terms of long-term sustainable improvement to the condition of the mind, there needs to be this gradual development with this consistency of your practice. And you gradually wear away these defilements or these taints or these pollution of mind. And even the Buddha talked about this in his teachings where he says, you know, in a given day, you can't really observe how much ill will you've eradicated from the mind, for example, or how much ill will you've kind of worn away from the mind. You can't really observe that through meditation or through your daily practice of how much of ill will or any of these other 10 fetters that you've worn away at any particular time. But when it's all gone, that's when you know that you've accomplished the goal. And he gives the analogy of someone who's using like a hand tool with a wooden tool. And he talks about, you know, like uh, it wasn't an ax. It was another word. It's kind of like a digging tool. And he talked about, okay, if you're using this hand tool and each day you're wearing away the handle, each day you don't know how much wood has been worn away from the handle of this tool. But when that tool gets to the point where this handle is no longer usable, you know when that is. You won't know each individual day how much you worn away from the handle, but when it's no longer usable, you will know that it's no longer usable and need to replace the handle. So the same thing with these fetters, and when you're doing meditation and when you're developing your practice with the AFO path, you're not gonna know how much you know central desire or how much ill will or how much ignorance or conceit, for example, that you've eradicated on any particular day. But when these things are completely eradicated, you will know it. So for example, with ill will, this is what produces and motivates unskillful conduct with our intention, speech, and actions where the mind is aggressive and hostile towards others and you feel this kind of inner hate or this aggression or hostility towards others when you go you know six months or a year without feeling any hate for any beings whatsoever there's no hostility no aggression it hasn't come through your intention speech or your actions at all for an extended period of time you can kind of know like oh it looks like i've eradicated ill will from the mind and and that's a really uh, wonderful thing and, and helpful thing for your practice But at the same time, you shouldn't just kind of jump for joy and kind of assume that this ill will is gone because you can perhaps go like a year without having any situations that arise anger in the mind. But then there can be a situation where, boom, you know, some anger comes into the mind. But the difference is, is that if you've learned this path 
and you've been meditating and you've been working through your intention, speech and actions to practice loving kindness, if you go a year without any kind of anger or hostility arising in the mind and then something comes in and you observe the arising of some hatred or anger that you haven't observed for an entire year happening in the mind, by that point you will know exactly what the answer is. Because if you've done your work eradicating anger, hatred, and ill will, and you've gone a whole year without having any anger, hatred, or ill will arise in the mind, then if you get to the point having gone a year and some arises, you'll know that it's being caused by your own craving, desire, attachments. You'll look at what that is. You know that you need to be doing loving kindness meditation to eradicate that. You know that you need to arise loving kindness in your intention, speech, and actions in your daily life, where in the past, being off this path, when anger, hatred, ill will arose, we blame other people. We blame others for our own anger. But if you've gotten to the point where you've gotten a whole year without any kind of anger, hatred, or ill will arising, then you've done a lot of work in order to get there. And you know exactly how you did that through the Buddhist teachings. So then if any kind of residual craving, desire, attachments are there that arise, anger, hatred, and ill will, then you know what the answer is and you pull that tool out, loving kindness meditation and practicing loving kindness in daily life through your intention, speech, and actions, being polite, kind, friendly, and respectful to all beings. Is it safe to say that earlier in our practice, we should continue to do loving kindness meditation even if we feel, we're not feeling strong sense of aversion, but you believe that since we're early in our practice, it is important to continue chipping away at that? Yeah, I suggest that people do loving kindness meditation until they observe six to 12 months of no anger, hatred, ill will in the mind, that there hasn't even been the arising of the slightest annoyance with somebody else. Because we call it, you know, anger, hatred, ill will, because those are the extremes. But when you're diminishing these fetters from the mind, they diminish gradually over time. And while at this point in your life, you might say, I don't hate anyone. Yeah, but you get annoyed perhaps with certain situations or certain people. That's the same exact poison. It's the same taint. It's the same defilement. It's the same pollution. It's just that it's been whittled away and narrowed down that now it's just producing this annoyance. And what you'd like to do is kind of wring this rag out and get all the anger, hatred, ill will, and all the lesser versions, get every drop of water out of that rag so that you're not even experiencing the slightest annoyance around someone else. Because if the mind is still experiencing annoyance, then there's still some craving, desire, attachments in there, which means it's producing this poison of anger, hatred, ill will in the lesser versions of that. And the only way to kind of stamp it out and completely get rid of it is to wring this rag out and really make sure you're doing loving kindness meditation until you notice that there's not even the slightest annoyance in the mind for in a period of six to 12 months. And then at that point, if you decide to no longer do loving kindness meditation, then that's fine. That's up to you. But again, if you do notice that anything's coming back into the mind, that means you haven't eradicated the fetter of ill will entirely. You can go six months or 12 months 
without some of these fetters showing up and you've kind of diminished them significantly. And you can go an extended period of time where anger doesn't arise, but then there's just some situations six months or 12 months down the road where it arises and you're like, whoa, I didn't even see that because you haven't experienced any of those feelings for so long. But the difference is, is that now you know the solution because you would have had to work really hard to get there. So as soon as you see after six or 12 months, the mind is completely free of any anger, hatred, ill will and the lesser versions. If any comes and arises in the mind, that means it's still there. It just hasn't arisen for you. And you know exactly the tool, which is loving kindness meditation and practicing loving kindness in daily life. You might think about this if you're used to kind of manicuring a a yard of grass where you might eradicate all the weeds and you think that all the weeds are gone from this lawn and you're like, wow, look at this. There's no weeds. But anybody who's done that kind of work, you know, you can't really turn your back on the lawn because another weed can kind of crop up at any point in time and you kind of need to be aware. That's where that right mindfulness comes in is that you're always practicing awareness of mind and wherever you observe even the slightest little bit of annoyance that comes into the mind that's that little weed trying to break through in the lawn and if you allow that to exist it's going to spread all throughout the whole lawn and pollute the whole lawn again so wherever you notice that even slightest little bit of annoyance towards any beings whatsoever That's where you're like, all right, I know the tool to fix that. It's loving kindness meditation and practicing loving kindness in daily life. Let me do that. Just like if you've eradicated the weeds from your lawn, there were certain tools that you used in order to do that. So if you see another weed popping its head out through the lawn, you know exactly how to eradicate that because you've done it already throughout your whole lawn and you just pull that weed or you get a little tool or whatever it is that you used to eradicate that weed from the lawn and you just go on with your day from there. And to clarify, if we do experience these lesser versions of ill will, those can, if neglected, grow into larger versions, you'd say? Exactly. If you are complacent, that's why the Buddha talks about complacency as being one of the five hindrances. And he also talks about tolerating the thoughts of harming or the thoughts of ill will. A diligent student would not be complacent. They would remain diligent, determined, and dedicated to eradicating every little ounce, every little drop of ill will. And in order to do this, the Buddha describes that you shouldn't tolerate any thoughts of harming or any ill will in the mind. So he says, don't tolerate harming thoughts or harmful thoughts don't tolerate ill will, get to the point where you despise any ill will that arises in the mind. And see, the challenge for practitioners is that that conceit, that arrogance and pride, that ego is there almost all the way to the end for a lot of people. So even if you've eradicated ill will, which is something that people can kind of eradicate fairly readily as they get onto this path, You might go six months or a year without having ill will or any of the lesser versions, but then when that little annoyance pops up, 
the egos there, that arrogance, that pride, thinking like, look at me, I've eradicated ill will six months or a year. I haven't been angry at anybody. I haven't been annoyed with anybody. But then when that little bit of annoyance pops up, if you're not observant of the mind and you're complacent, you might kind of dismiss it and be like, oh no, that wasn't annoyance. That was just such and such and such and such. Because the ego's there trying to convince you that you're more enlightened than you really are. So rather than allow the ego to take over and then convince you that, yeah, that little bit of annoyance, that's fine. You don't have to do loving kindness. You can just keep on going. You know, don't worry about that. The ego is almost like this third entity that's kind of trying to convince you that you're more enlightened than you really are. But if you aren't complacent and you are intolerant of this thoughts of harming and this thoughts of ill will, you see even the slightest little bit of ill will arise in the mind, you know that you need to wring that out. You need to get every last little drop of that out of the mind and don't tolerate any kind of thoughts of harming or any ill will that might arise in the mind or any kind of even slightest little annoyance. Because in order to get to that enlightened mind where it's peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy permanently, you need to stamp out all of that stuff even that slightest little bit of annoyance as you get to like that third stage of enlightenment, non-returner, right? Even in the once returner and non-returner stage of enlightenment, life is very, 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 very peaceful. You're only having discontentedness every once in a while. And this is where the mind can become complacent, where people might think that they're actually fairly enlightened. And as they move into those second and third stages of enlightenment, you go three months or six months without any discontentedness. And when you get a little bit of discontentedness that comes into the mind, it's like, ah, I don't really have to deal with that because it's just every once in a while. But that's like allowing the dirty water to stay in the rag and you haven't wringed out the rag all the way. So by wringing out this rag all the way, you can ultimately get to this completely peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy, where it's always peaceful, always permanently content and joyful. Because if you remember those four stages of enlightenment in that third stage of non-returner, if you die in that stage, then that person will be reborn into the heavenly realm. And from there, they will attain enlightenment. So by the time you get to non-returner, discontentedness has diminished so much that it's almost like experiencing heaven on earth. Whereas if you die in that stage of non-returner, the third stage, you are going to be reborn into heaven and attain enlightenment from there because that's not a permanent realm for you to exist in. But things can be so utterly peaceful with just the occasional discontentedness that some practitioners can potentially become complacent or intolerant, just like those heavenly beings. Those heavenly beings, they're fairly complacent because they're only experiencing exclusively pleasant feelings and they get to the point where they're complacent and lack motivation to attain enlightenment. So when you're in this human realm and you're experiencing that third stage of enlightenment and even the second stage to a certain degree, don't allow the mind to get complacent even when you're only experiencing discontentedness every now and again. That also seems like a nice reminder to not be prideful about our progress on the path or begin to associate our self-worth with where we are because by doing that it becomes harder to 
assess where we are, it seems like. Exactly. As soon as you allow the mind to experience pleasant feelings because you have eliminated discontentedness to a certain degree, or you're feeling prideful about your progress on the path, that's where you're just opening the mind up for continued discontentedness because you're allowing those feelings to come in. So you've got to remain unaffected by even your own progress on the path. What's going to be now for a question? Hi, teacher David. So clarifying question. Are you saying that complacency arises from ego? No, I'm not saying that. Complacency is when the mind is unmotivated, lacking enthusiasm, the practitioner isn't willing to progress and investigate the teachings, practice that enlightenment factor of energy. But what I'm sharing is, is that if the mind is experiencing significant diminishing of discontentedness for like three, six months or 12 months, then the mind can become complacent because you think like, oh, wow, look at this. No discontentedness for six months. This is quite wonderful. And then when at six months, for example, if somebody experiences a little bit of discontentedness, there can be the ego there that kind of convinces you like, "Mm, that wasn't discontentedness. That was just, you know, this, that, or the other thing. And the ego can try to convince you to be complacent and not take the appropriate steps to eradicate that little bit of annoyance or that little bit of irritation that came into the mind. Because if you haven't experienced any of that for six months and you're walking around thinking that you're pretty enlightened, and then you experience this little bit of irritation or annoyance for even you know, five minutes or two minutes, the ego is right there like, ah, you don't have to worry about that. That was just like one minute or two minute thing. You're past that. Don't worry about that. Just keep on going. The ego's there always trying to convince you that you're more enlightened than you really are. So it can kind of convince you to become complacent where you now tolerate this one minute, two minute, five minutes of discontentedness. And what I'm sharing is don't allow that little one minute, two minute, five minutes of discontentedness to go unchecked. Wherever you observe any kind of discontentedness whatsoever, you need to wring that out and get it out of the mind, stamp it out. Even if it's five minutes of discontentedness every six months, which is no big deal, the mind's still not enlightened if that's what it's experiencing. So you need to remain diligent and dedicated Remain mindful where you're observing the mind at all times, even when you're experiencing this elongated period of no discontentedness, even you have 30 seconds or 10 seconds of discontentedness, you need to stamp that out in order to get to the point where the mind's fully enlightened. Okay, that was very helpful um, because there have been occasional times when um, I I don't think dismisses the word, but if there's uh, any any frustration or discontentedness, um, of I've recognized that when it's happening, um, but it has already happened. Let's say, and so um, I attribute that to yeah to investigate further what happened there and where was the craving, where was the attachment, um, and I caught more or less attributed to um, really just. Um, having the need to meditate uh, more, to have more consistent practice with meditation. Uh, I just wanted to make sure that it's not 
an, an utter blind spot that I'm having where that, you know, somewhat of a dismissiveness towards the, uh, that arising of the discontented, discontentedness is not linked to um, a, a sense of ego. And I don't, I don't believe that I've ever had that clarity where, um, you know, the mind is thinking that, hey, I'm already far, this much far along, it can't be anything. I, I haven't thought that much into it, um, nor did I have any kind of um, thoughts which attributed in that direction. So I just wanted to clarify that with you. Yeah, that word that you're using there, a blind spot, that's what you're trying to avoid. And the way that you circumvent that is by always practicing mindfulness so that you're aware when any discontentedness arises and then don't tolerate it. Don't allow the ego to come in and chime in and be like, oh, you've been at this a long time. You know, you can kick back, you can relax. You know, you've only experienced five minutes of discontentedness there. Don't worry about it. Anytime you see any discontentedness, even one second, you would like to investigate it, as you say, and discover you know what are the craving desire attachments that produce this and let me eliminate that and if that means increasing your meditation as you said or any other aspect of your practice that you see needs to be improved then take the steps to do that don't allow anything including the ego to come in and be like ah no nah, you can kick back it was only it was only one minute of discontentedness don't worry about that because that's where the weeds start to grow more and more and more because you're not being diligent you're not being observant you're tolerant of this discontentedness even one minute of it so the buddha's guidance on this is to always remain diligent determined and dedicated don't allow the mind to become tolerant of any discontentedness whatsoever. This is very beneficial. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. You're welcome. That seems to be all the questions we have for now, David. Okay. So let's do our guided loving kindness meditation together. But let me first share with you a just little recap for anybody who's joining us for the first time or that maybe you haven't participated in our loving kindness classes because we've been teaching loving kindness meditation now for four weeks in a row and i've given in the very first talk a full description of why we do loving kindness meditation and how to progress towards it using the buddha's words and some other things so this is just kind of to remind anybody who's joined us recently or even those of you that have been in this class for a while it's kind of nice to kind of recap this here at the end of this four-part series so the way that we do loving kindness meditation is we start out with breathing mindfulness meditation and you'll hear me do a chant to kind of ease into that which we're going to be discussing next wednesday as part of a four-part series to learn buddhist chanting so i'll do buddhist chanting first That'll ease us into breathing mindfulness meditation where I'll give you some guidance in breathing mindfulness meditation. And then I'll leave you guys on your own for a while to do that work and kind of prepare the mind to focus on the single object of the breath. What breathing mindfulness meditation is doing is it's arising mindfulness and concentration, developing that singleness of mind and awareness of mind. Then it's also eliminating craving desire attachment so when the mind moves away from the breath you cut it off and bring it back to the breath cut it off and bring it back to the breath cut it off and bring it back to the breath 
you're not going to get to a point in time where you never have any thoughts whatsoever in meditation. That's not the goal. The breathing mindfulness meditation's goal is to become aware sooner and sooner that the mind is off the breath, cut that off and let it go and develop this singleness of mind where the mind can be peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. Just focus on the breath and only the breath. So you'll do that work for, you know, five minutes, 10 minutes, however long we do it in class and at home. Then I will come back in with some guidance to guide you in loving kindness meditation. And with loving kindness meditation, you do these affirmations quietly in the mind. I do them out loud as I'm guiding you guys. But if I was doing this meditation on my own and you observe me, you wouldn't know what meditation I was doing, whether it was breathing mindfulness or loving kindness because you just see somebody meditating. You don't know what's going on in the mind and the work that's happening in the mind. So once you've done that work for breathing mindfulness meditation, now it's time to do the work for loving kindness meditation where you repeat these affirmations internally in the mind on the out breath. And those four affirmations are, may I be peaceful. And you do that on the out breath. May I be safe on the out breath, may I be well, may I be free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes. You do this over successive breaths, these four statements, always starting with I or you, this being that we call David or Judith or Rick or James, Manal, Nick, any individual, whoever this being is, you're starting to cultivate loving kindness for this being because you can't have loving kindness for others if you haven't cultivated it for this being that you're now inhabiting, this body and this mind. Then you go to successive rings from there. And what you should do in your private practice is you should include rings of individuals or groups of individuals that you're having challenges with, that you find that your mind is annoyed or irritated or frustrated or having hatred, anger, ill will with any of those particular beings and you make these rings successive. So whether it's your mom or your father, your brother, your sisters, your aunts, your uncles, your life partner, your children, your coworkers, your boss, your neighbors, you put anybody in there that you need in order to cultivate this in the mind. And eventually you get to the point where your last four affirmations are all beings. You would like to not leave out any beings whatsoever. You need to cultivate loving kindness in the mind for all beings. If you even have hatred, ill will, or anger for even just one being, the mind is not yet enlightened. So you would like to extend your rings all the way out to all beings. Some people even do this for extraterrestrial beings, right? And they think about those beings as well because I'm sure there's beings out there somewhere else in this big wide world and someday those beings are going to be interacting with us more and more and we're going to maybe be interacting with them. So it would be important to cultivate loving kindness for them as well if you feel that those beings exist. But ultimately you would like to get to all beings. Then at the end of that, then go back to breathing mindfulness meditation. This helps to clear out the mind of any residual feelings that have arisen during loving kindness meditation. Because as you're working skillfully in your meditation with these individuals and these groups that you have difficulties with, with anger, hatred, and ill will, it might actually arise 
anger, hatred, ill will, or frustration, or irritation, or annoyance during the meditation. Even though before the meditation, your mind didn't have any of that because it's buried deep inside. When you go into the meditation, it's like pulling the carpet back and the dust flies, or it's like ripping the scab off of sometimes a wound. But if you don't pull the carpet back and clear out the dust, then that dust is just going to keep piling up. So in the meditation, sometimes people, by the time they get to the end of loving kindness, have a bit of irritation or annoyance or anger that has arisen. And that's why you're doing breathing mindfulness meditation on the backside in order to clear the mind, calm the mind and settle the mind before we then come out with chanting as a way to come out of the meditation. And today, as we do this, I will open up at the end for any questions that you guys have on anything related to loving kindness meditation, breathing mindfulness meditation, or really anything along this path that you guys would like to talk about. So that's the way we do our meditation together. And as I'm guiding you in meditation, keep in mind that this is your personal practice. This is your independent practice. Even though we're in a group, even though you have a teacher guiding you, it's you doing the work here. It's not a time to tune out. It's not a time to just go to la la land. It's not a time to just follow what I'm saying. You're doing the work. I'm just here as a guide to kind of encourage you along and help you understand how to actually do this meditation. But it's you doing the work in your own practice. So if what I'm guiding you on, your breath isn't there yet, then don't feel like you're behind or you're out of sync because everyone's going to be breathing a bit differently. So when I say, may I be peaceful, basically on your next out breath, wherever that is, you think in the mind, cultivate in the mind this affirmation of may I be peaceful. So this is still your independent practice, even though we're doing it as a group and you have a person guiding you in the, in the meditation. So let's go ahead and do meditation together. Go ahead and take your position, either seated, lying, or standing. Those are usually the three positions where we do loving kindness meditation. If you're in the seated position, you might decide to be on the floor with some cushions under your rear and getting the rear up in the air, which lessens the angles at the hips, the knees, and the ankles. That can make it more comfortable. If you're crossing the legs in front of you, you don't want those to be really, really tight because that'll inhibit the circulation and make it more painful during your meditation. If at any point there's any pain in meditation, you should change your position. You shouldn't just grin and bear it. There's no awards given out for having pain in meditation and just breathing through it. The pain in the body is sending a signal to the mind that something's wrong here and fix it. So whenever you feel any pain, you should adjust your body position. And the way to help with that is don't tuck your legs in really tight into the body. Just have them kind of loose to allow the circulation to still flow. If you're in a chair, then your feet are probably flat on the floor or you might cross at the ankles. Totally up to you. There's not just one way to do this. The hands and arms are going to be resting comfortably in your lap. The Buddha placed his right hand on top of his left with his thumbs together and then put that into his lap. That's the way that you can place your hands and arms, if you like, where they're completely relaxed. Or if that doesn't feel comfortable for you for any reason, this isn't about everyone doing it exactly the same because that's not possible. You might choose to put your palms on your thighs, your knees. You might put the arms on the armrest. But essentially what you'd like to get to is where the lower body 
the hands and arms are completely at rest. There's no muscles that are engaged at any point during the meditation in the lower body or the hands and the arms. The upper body is a bit different. You would like the upper body to be erect around the spine where there's some erectness in the spine. You're not interested in being slouched or real rigid. You would like to be in the middle where there's some erectness in the spine. This keeps the spine erect, but more importantly, it keeps the mind attentive and alert during the meditation. Because if there's a little bit of sleepiness in there, the mind might have a tendency to turn off and disengage, but you would like for things to stay engaged during your meditation because this is real work to actually do the work that we're doing in our meditation. So by keeping the body erect, you can then keep the mind attentive and alert during the meditation. Next, close the eyes. And with the eyes closed, start breathing in through the nose and out through the nose. You'd like to just take some nice gradual breaths. Breathing in, experiencing the full breath. And breathing out, experiencing the full exhale. The breath shouldn't be rushed. It shouldn't be hurried. It shouldn't be controlled. Just a nice gradual inhale through the nose. And exhale through the nose. Remember, this is going to happen at your own pace. I'm just here as guidance. So don't feel like your breath needs to match to the guidance that I'm providing. Just breathe in through the nose. Wherever you get to that inhale, experiencing the full breath. And exhale. Start bringing the awareness of the mind to the breath. You should observe the sound of the breath or the sensation of air moving into the nose. The breath is the present moment. Fixating the mind in the present moment, it can be peaceful, content, and joyful. So fixate the mind on the sound of the breath or sensation of air moving into the nose. This is the present moment. Breathing in. And out. Breathing in. and out. Continue breathing in and out through the nose, keeping the mind fixated on the breath. After we do the chanting, I'll be back with some more guidance. If you know these chants, you're welcome to chant along. 
Fixating the mind on the breath. Wherever you notice that the mind is not on the breath, cut it off, let it go, come back to the breath. If the mind goes to the past, the future, if there's any thoughts, ideas, or perceptions that enter the mind, just cut that off and let it go. Don't label it. Don't try to figure out where it came from. Just cut it off, let it go, and come back to the breath, the present moment. So I'm going to be quiet and let you do this work in breathing mindfulness meditation. Keep the mind present on the breath. Wherever it's not on the breath, cut it off and bring it back to the breath. 
Breathing in and out.
continuing to focus on the breath. On the next out breath, <clears throat> repeat this affirmation in the mind. May I be peaceful. safe. May I be free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes. peaceful. May we be safe. May we be free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes. May all those who are friendly to me 
be peaceful. May they be safe. discontentedness in the suffering it causes. towards me be peaceful may they be safe May they be free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes. who are hateful towards me 
be peaceful. May they be safe. May they be well. May they be free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes. May all beings be peaceful. May all beings be safe. beings be well. May all beings be free of discontentedness and the suffering it causes. Turn back to breathing mindfulness meditation, focused on the breath, breathing in and out. 
to slowly make your way out of meditation. I'd like to just mention that as part of these four classes, the meditations that we've been doing, I've just been using kind of generic rings like today, you know, those that are friendly, neutral, or hateful. And you're welcome to use any of these meditations that I've shared, and you can create your own. But most likely what you're going to be interested in doing is creating a more customized version of this meditation for your specific needs. When guiding a group of practitioners in meditation, I need to find rings that will apply to pretty much everybody that's meditating with us. But when you're meditating on your own, you need to create rings based on the goals that you're trying to meet in terms of any kind of anger, hatred, or ill will that's in the mind. So be sure to customize these based on your own specific needs. That's when it will have the most effect for you. 
So I'd just like to share that with you and then open up to any questions related to loving kindness meditation that you guys have or breathing mindfulness meditation or even anything along this path that you guys have questions about. You can put that into Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom. Our moderators will see that and be sure your questions get asked. Or you can raise your hand electronically in Zoom and ask any questions or follow-up questions that you might have. And David, you just mentioned that we could customize the rings to fit our preferences and needs. I was wondering, do you recommend that we do that prior to meditation? Plan it out in some sense? Yes, you can. You can know going into meditation before you even start that there's certain individuals or certain groups of individuals that you're working on eliminating anger, hatred, and ill will for. And typically, if you have somebody that you're having these feelings towards or a group of people, you're going to have them in your meditation pretty consistently. You know, it's not like a one time or one week thing and they're they're out of your meditation it takes time to really transform the mind so you might be using a very similar meditation for three months or six months before you ultimately start changing and kind of mixing around as you observe that the hatred anger ill will has kind of dissolved for certain people that you're interacting with you're noticing that oh yeah this has been going really well our relationship is going great I don't feel any kind of hostility or aggression or even slightest annoyance around this person anymore. So now you can take that person out and maybe there's other people that you need to put into your meditation. So you can plan it ahead of time and kind of keep with that meditation for a period of time. You know, even though I've changed every week, I just did this just to give you guys a flavor of some of the different types of meditations you can be doing. But probably your meditation is going to stay pretty consistently for a few weeks or a few months as you wear away the anger, hatred, ill will and develop the loving kindness. But you can also on the fly as you're in meditation, if you're in breathing mindfulness meditation and you know there's this hatred that's just coming out of nowhere that your mind keeps wandering off to this situation that happened a week ago or a month ago and you thought that was way in the past, but you're noticing in breathing mindfulness meditation that the mind keeps going to this thing in the past or this thing in the future that you're not looking forward to seeing a particular individual and you didn't even realize that that was in the mind, but through breathing mindfulness meditation, you realize it, then maybe you put them into your loving kindness meditation, even though you didn't originally plan to have it in there. So you can maintain this impermanence with your loving kindness meditation. Know that it's impermanent go in with a certain plan of what you're going to be doing, but then also be open to any adjustments as you observe the mind needs that. You've mentioned in the past that judgment of others tends to begin with judgment of self, and I find that an interesting insight personally, and I was wondering if you could expand on that a bit. Yeah, you know, some of us, as we're progressing in life, develop this negative self-talk, this inner self-talk where we're constantly judging the things that we do or the things that we say or the way that we maybe even meditate or you know we don't practice right speech in a certain situation we just beat ourselves up and judge ourselves in a derogatory way and when you see that occurring that's because the mind is judging itself and it hasn't arisen this loving kindness and compassion for yourself and you need to let that go but at the same time, you can't just completely be complacent 
and not observe that you have used wrong speech or that you aren't meditating the way that you need to. So this is where you find that middle where you're not beating yourself up, judging yourself, thinking you're so horrible, degrading the mind, diminishing the mind, thinking that you're the worst being that walked the planet. But at the same time, you don't want to have such pride and such arrogance that you're indifferent about the things that are going on in your life practice and you're not tending to the things that need to be tended to and you're not tolerant of the things that are arising in the mind. So you find that middle way where you observe, wow, I would have liked to have had better speech with that person and let me work on doing that next time or let me apologize to this person for doing that or yeah, I would really like to have a more consistent meditation practice. I'm only meditating once every two or three days. Let me build that up rather than go to the negative part and just think horribly about yourself, judging yourself, because that's going to then put you in a position where not only are you judging yourself, you're judging others around you. And this is going to be harmful to the mind. So in situations where you see that maybe you haven't used right speech or you're not meditating as consistently as you like or you turn in a work project and your boss doesn't particularly like the way that you did the project and they give you some negative feedback. Don't take this to the point where you're degrading the mind and thinking you're so horrible. Instead, look at the feedback, look at what's coming to you, look at the situation if you're using wrong speech, for example, and plot steps to improve it. And know that your wrong speech is impermanent, that if you're having missteps on this path, that's part of the path. Your mind's not going to be practicing this path 100% perfectly until you get to enlightenment, which means you're going to be experiencing the first stage of enlightenment, still making mistakes. Second stage of enlightenment, still making mistakes. Third stage of enlightenment, still making mistakes and you know having arrogance and having ego. So If you're not yet in the first, second, or third stage of enlightenment and you're prior to that, then surely you're going to be making mistakes. But even when you get into that first, second, and third stage of enlightenment, you're going to be making mistakes. You're going to be having what the Buddha called slightest faults. But the Buddha says, you know, don't tolerate these slightest little faults. So even in those first, second, third stage of enlightenment, where you observe these challenges, don't judge yourself as being a bad person instead look at ways that you can improve this practice and just know that you're always working towards improvement and it's not until you're in that fourth stage of enlightenment and you're experiencing that for you know multiple years that you can observe like wow okay the practice is well developed and there's no discontentedness whatsoever but you won't ever get to that development if you continually diminish yourself, degrade yourself, think you're horrible for maybe missing a meditation or for slipping up with your speech or any other thing. If you keep judging yourself and degrading yourself with that negative self-talk, you're never going to progress. So you've got to let that go and cut that off. Just like you cut off every other unwholesome mental quality that arises during your daily life, where you see that little nagging negative mind come in and try to judge yourself, you cut that off and let it go and just focus on the positive. And same thing when you observe that the mind is judging others in a negative way and you're starting to judge others and measure and compare, you cut that off and let it go. And look at the wholesome qualities of people. An enlightened being 
knows that somebody has these unwholesome qualities. They see them using profanity or they see people using drugs and alcohol. They see people doing harmful things to other beings. They know that those things are there, but an enlightened being doesn't choose to focus on those things and judge the individual for those things because those things don't make the person who they are. Those things are all impermanent. Those things can all be improved. And anybody who's attained enlightenment has already been doing those things. So why would we judge others for using drugs and alcohol when we've done probably the exact same thing? Why would we judge other people for having wrong speech when we've done exactly the same thing? Why would we judge other people for being hateful or vindictive or resentful or jealous when we've done exactly the same thing? So because that arrogance and ego is there as you're ascending through these stages of enlightenment and you're noticing that you're no longer doing those things, if you allow the arrogance to come in and look down on other people, then you're not going to get to that fourth stage of enlightenment. So even as you're cleaning up your practice and you're observing that there is a lot of unwholesomeness in the world, the more that you improve your practice, the more unwholesomeness you're going to see in the world, the more suffering you're going to see because you're aware of it and you're going to know that other people are causing their own suffering. But don't allow that to create this judgmental mind where you're judging yourself for others. Instead, just observe that, yes, there are these unwholesome qualities, but choose to focus on the wholesomeness of this individual. I've often used an example of, like, let's just say a mom or a dad is beating their child in front of you. And someone might arise hate towards this parent for beating their child in front of you. It could be something that the mind could judge this person for doing and look down at this being wrong action and wrong intention and being hateful and judgmental towards this being. But if you can look at that situation, of course, we see that the parent is beating the child. But what you can also see in that same exact situation is this is a parent that truly is interested in seeing their child do well and see good things happen for their child, but they're just lacking the wisdom, moral conduct, and mental discipline of how to do that. Their mind is polluted. Their mind is defiled. They have this unwholesomeness, and they're choosing to hit their child, but that's because they don't know any other way. They don't know how to patiently, politely, kindly, and respectfully guide their child to a better outcome and a better result. They don't know how to share wisdom with this child to improve because they themselves don't have the wisdom. So since they themselves don't have wisdom, they don't know how to share that with the child. So rather than sit there and judge this person for the harmful things that they're doing and look down on them with conceit, instead, look at the positive side that, okay, I see these unwholesome things happening, but this parent truly does have a interest in seeing their child be well and do better things, they just don't know how to accomplish that. They don't know how to practice wisdom, moral conduct, and mental discipline to help that to happen. And just because you have that wisdom, moral conduct, and mental discipline that you've cultivated as part of this path, don't allow that to create arrogance or pride in the mind and look down on this person. Just consider that this person is unfortunate, that they haven't taken the opportunity or they haven't had the chance to investigate these teachings in the same way that you have. Because 
Remember, the whole problem with the unenlightened mind is it craves permanence. It wants permanence. So as you develop this path more and more, and you develop all these wholesome qualities, and you see that other people aren't practicing these teachings, if your mind is craving permanence, you might wish and crave for nobody to be racist, and nobody to be homophobic, and nobody to be xenophobic, and nobody to do one thing or the other, because you've seen the improvement to the condition of your mind through these teachings and now the mind might be craving permanence for everyone to be practicing these teachings in the same way that you are but that's part of the overall problem that craving permanence so you've got to let go of that because that's going to create judgment where you're judging yourself and others and just know that everybody's in a different place in their journey be appreciative of where you are in your journey and look for the positive in everybody. And this is what can dissolve any kind of judgment for yourself or judgment for others. Look at the positive in your own practice. If you practice wrong speech and you're like, darn it, I practiced wrong speech. I shouldn't have said that. Well, you know what? Rather than beating yourself up about it, be appreciative of the fact that you even know what right speech is. Because maybe a couple of years ago, you were just in the forest, knocking down trees and burning up the forest, setting things on fire and just speaking however you, the mind was speaking. At least now, when you observe that you're using wrong speech, at least you know it's wrong speech. And at least you know how to fix that and you know what the teachings are. So rather than sit there and judge yourself thinking you're such a horrible person because you're not practicing right speech in exactly the way you'd like to have it happen, be appreciative and look at the positive side. At least I know what right speech is now. Okay, I see I did that in a harmful way and I can improve that because I know what the teachings are. Now let me work on improving that. And that's where you can always be focused on the positive, be aware of the challenges that you're facing and clean that stuff up, but just focus on the positive so that you can keep moving forward on this path. Seems that many of us have been brought up to be motivated by guilt, and it seems that that guilt plays a role in some of these insecurities, would you say? And it's important to let go of that guilt in order to really develop loving kindness for others. Yeah, you hit that on the head, James, that, you know, that guilt, that shame, that fear has been instilled in a lot of people, and that, you know, really harms people's minds because if you walk around feeling guilty, shameful, and fearful about the things that you're doing, you can get to the point where you just give up and you decide like, I'm not even going to pursue this because you just keep walking around feeling guilty, shameful, and fearful. So if you notice those discontent feelings coming to the mind, just know that you're a work in progress. You know, And that's why I share with people that you should never even convince the mind that you're enlightened. Just always consider that you're a work in progress and it's actually quite fun i don't know if you've ever done a home improvement project and when you're doing a home improvement project it's quite enjoyable to see that this vision or these ideas of improving your home are coming together and you're seeing the improvement in the home and then once that improvement project is done you might be looking for well what's the next thing that i can improve well if you think about your life practice in the same way that you're working on improving your right view and you're working on improving your right intention and your right speech. And these are all individual things on the Eightfold Path that you're working on improving. You're working on improving your meditation practice. 
and know that this is always a work in progress. And even in that first, second, third stage of enlightenment, you're still a work in progress. You haven't gotten to enlightenment yet. While the discontentedness has significantly diminished, you need to stay dedicated, determined, and diligent, never tolerating any discontentedness in the mind, never tolerating any of this unwholesome qualities, but always looking at the positive, not allowing guilt, shame, or fear to come into the mind. And if it does, you just cut it off and let it go and just focus on the positive and keep working forward with that. Since this is our final class in this series on loving kindness meditation, then as you mentioned earlier, we should continue to practice loving kindness meditation. Do you have any general advice on a good ratio between breathing mindfulness meditation and loving kindness meditation going forward? Everybody's going to be a bit different. There's really no kind of permanent recommendation I can make other than if you know that you have any kind of anger, hatred, or ill will, or the lesser versions like we've talked about, you should definitely have loving kindness meditation at some point in your practice at least once a day. So if you're doing meditation two or three times a day, at least one of those should be loving kindness meditation in your practice. Because loving kindness meditation has breathing mindfulness in there as well, you're getting those benefits uh, along with the loving kindness. And just completely stick with this at least once a day out of the two or three and don't be in a hurry to stop doing loving kindness meditation. You know, if you've got this tree that has all these roots that are growing towards your house and invading your house and it's going to break through the walls of your house, you would like to uproot every single last little root that's headed towards your house and it's going to destroy this house. Don't allow any stone or any piece of earth to be unturned. Stopping loving kindness meditation. I don't do loving kindness meditation anymore in my personal practice, but I do it with you guys as part of this. But I wasn't in a hurry to stop that. In fact, I didn't even observe that I had really stopped it. It just kind of happened naturally on its own. Don't feel like by stopping loving kindness meditation that that's an indication of your progress because the concern would be is if you stop doing loving kindness too soon and you're not aware of this anger, hatred, ill will arising in the mind to produce even the slightest annoyance or irritation, then that means you haven't fully eradicated it from the mind. You need to go back to it. So don't be in a hurry to let it go or don't even feel like you have to let it go. Even though I've chosen to no longer do it, don't feel like that's what you've got to do, that you can still be cultivating this loving kindness in your meditation throughout your entire life practice until you die. Don't be in a hurry to to let this one go. Thank you for offering this series, David. I think that I can speak for myself and the class to say that it's been very helpful for weeks. Good. I'm, I'm pleased to know that it's been helpful to help everyone build up their practice and, you know, continue to meditate with it as we've discussed. But remember to always keep in mind that, yes, we're doing meditation, but you need to move this into your daily practice through your intention, speech, and actions. That's where you start really cleaning up the difficulties and the unwholesome decisions that you made in the past. So if you've been angry and hostile or unkind or impolite or disrespectful to people in the past, 
Just doing loving kindness meditation isn't going to fix that. Yes, that's where you need to start. You need to start with loving kindness and cultivate that in the mind. But in your daily life, those people that you're around that you've been hostile and aggressive towards or impolite or disrespectful towards, you need to clean that up by now practicing right intention, right speech and right action. And this is where you clean up your relationships where people's minds that have gotten used to you being angry or hostile or aggressive or any lesser versions of that, their mind is conditioned to now treat you that same exact way because that's the way you've been treating them for the last six months or the last two years or the last 10 years, 20 years. So where you start with meditation and you transform this slowly but surely in meditation, you also need to transform your intention, speech, and actions in daily life so that in your daily interactions with people that you're cleaning up those decisions that you made in the past. And even though you're working in meditation and in your daily practice to clean this up, people are still going to be impolite and disrespectful with you. Just because you've been doing this a week or a month or three months doesn't mean people are going to immediately start being polite and kind with you because you weren't that way in the past and you've got to burn off all of that gamma, all of those unwholesome decisions that you were making in the past to treat people in a certain way. That's all going to get returned to you. That's the result of your decisions. So by you cleaning up your own mind in meditation and cleaning up your intention, speech and actions in your daily life, slowly but surely, these people will realize that they're being hateful towards you and you're no longer being hateful towards them. But that might take six months or a year or longer for you to burn off all that unwholesomeness, all that unwholesome karma that you created through your intention, speech and actions in the past. And in some situations, depending on the relationship, it might actually be better for you to just end the relationship and go on if it's really significantly, severely damaged. And this is a relationship that isn't something that's long term with a deep commitment in the relationship. In certain situations to clean up your gamma, it's almost better to just kind of end the relationship and move on. But a combination of this with loving kindness, meditation, cleaning up your intention, speech and actions, cleaning up your relationships that you currently have, and then in some relationships, maybe choosing to move on, this will bring more peacefulness to the mind because now you're practicing in a way that's wholesome. And now any new relationships that you create, you better know how to do that. You know not to have craving, desire, attachment and sabotage and crush this relationship. Or in this new relationship, you know to have right view, right intention, right speech, right action, and all the rest. So you can kind of start this new relationship on better footing because you now have developed your mind further and you're not going to sabotage the relationship through your own intention, speech, and actions. And this is where you can cultivate improved relationships more and more around you and you can develop more and more relationships as you go in life through these good wholesome teachings that the Buddha is sharing along this eightfold path. So next Wednesday, we're going to be starting our four-part series in Buddhist chanting. I'm going to start out explaining, you know, how Buddhist chanting has been used throughout history, you know, why it was used and how it was used. 
and then also helping you see why we might choose to use Buddhist chanting in today's times as well. And then I will teach you the individual chants that I do in meditation prior and at the end. And I'll share with you the translations of those chants as well so that you'll understand the words that we're using so they'll have more meaning for you if you decide to actually use the chanting. But I'll preface that whole series with the very first class like I've done with all the other classes of just giving you a whole bunch of background information and helping you understand the why before I actually show you how to do it. This Sunday in our group learning program, we're going to be in chapter five, which is the Eightfold Path, the path for all humans to enlightenment. This is where we're going to discuss each individual step, right view through right concentration, and help you understand the details of each individual step. I did this as part of the group learning program in a three-part series already, but now this is kind of like a refresher for anybody who's already learned in those three classes, or if you're joining us now for the first time, this will be the first time for some people who will ever have heard the Eightfold Path. So we'll go through that in a certain level of detail. And if there's any challenges that you're having, if you've already learned the Eightfold Path in the past with me, then you can get answers to your questions about how to apply this in your daily life. Because as you know, there's a certain amount of learning that you need to do, a certain amount of reflection, and then there's a certain amount of practice. But then this is kind of an iterative process where after you're practicing it for a while, there's going to be certain challenges that you encounter and you need to come back and ask more questions and do that learning again, do that reflection again, and then practice some more, bringing your practice up to a higher level. And then when you see some challenges you're having, you come back and you learn some more, you reflect some more and you practice some more. And this is where you develop your practice more and more and more, where you refine your life practice through the Eightfold Path, because that is the path to enlightenment. So we'll be doing that on Sunday. So thank you all for joining today's class. I appreciate all your participation over the course of this four-part series. There's a lot more in the group learning program that you're going to be learning as we go forward. Have a really lovely rest of your day. We'll see you in a future class. Sawadee Thank you for listening to this podcast. To provide support for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. To access more teachings, visit buddhadailywisdom.com. There, you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Remember to establish a daily, consistent meditation practice, along with learning and practicing these teachings. A well-developed meditation practice is the foundation in which to train the mind to attain enlightenment.